Welcome to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. Here are your hosts, Jared and Zach. What's up, everybody? It's Jared, as always. And with me today, it's not Zach. Wait, no, it is. I'm sorry. He's right across the table, but... Jared, <laughs> can you, are you going to explain what you just did? It was like a deep meta play where I was going to make you question whether or not you really were Zach. I mean, we did this literally like what last week you made me, I don't even remember what we were talking about, but you were like, I don't know if you're even the real Zach. Maybe I have like a subconscious need to like get rid of you, but simultaneously keep you around. And I'm like caught in the, the minutia in the middle of all of this mixed feelings. Well, welcome to the divorce of puzzling company. Um, <laughs> we made it 17 episodes. Well, technically we have 18 recorded already. That's true. But um, we'll start, we'll, we'll stop goofing around. We're, we're both here for the long haul. Let's be real. True. We can make this work, Zach. I think we can. Yes. Oh, I want to make this work. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope so, Jared. Yes. <laughs> but today we're super excited. You, you all know if you're listeners of ours, we start off every new month with a game that's hot off the press. And we're super excited today to be talking about The Messenger by Immersive Interactive, or Immersion Interactive, excuse me, I misspoke there. How dare you? I know. Immersion versus Immersive, it's two, two different things. They are. Two different things. But hang with us, we're going to jump right into the episode. Zach, I'm, I'm so sorry to hear about the robbery at your house last night. Are you okay? I'm fine. But Jared, literally no one broke into my house last night. But I do feel a little upset because you did stand me up for game night. Okay. Your text literally reads, break in tonight, exclamation point. Jared, that's literally the name of the game. It's a really cool new concept where you're trying to solve puzzles to break into the game instead of out of it. All their games follow really cool narratives about real life places. We really should have people check it out in our show notes to get details on where they can pick up this game. So it. It's called Break In? Yes, it's Breaking In, not Breaking Out. I'm sorry. It's okay. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Puzzling Company. As we mentioned before the break, we are talking about The Messenger by Immersion Interactive. And just to let you know a little bit about this game, this is a really cool game that is intended for a longer playing period. This is more of what we would classify under that bespoke, very high tangibility, very immersive element type of game. Mm -hmm. And it was that experience is what I would describe. Yes. I, I will admit we did spring on the Kickstarter for the limited edition. It's not a big deal. We are collectors. <laughs> right. uh, we're still uh, a bourgeoisie when it comes to the uh, art yes. games. But yeah, we're going to do what we always do. We want to jump into this game because this was a, a game that is made by what is first an escape room company. Mm -hmm. And then they decided to throw their hat in the ring with that home world. So yeah. we're, we're going to talk about and look at that a little bit. But Zach is going to kick us off talking about what we really enjoyed about this game. Yeah, I think the first thing we really liked was the immersive elements of the game as well as the historical narrative. Yes. Tell me, tell me more about that. Yeah. So uh, in this game... There's there's a lot to it. Um, it is a very much a narrative based game. Um, you'll get uh, for us as uh, you know the collectors we are. 
uh, we got the nice olden look, old looking chest yes. uh, inside of it, which had a parcel um, that had a bunch of different items. It has a lot of narrative background. There's a lot of there's a journal you get to read that involves puzzles. Um, yes. There's a lot of smaller stuff you have to read as well. Um, the the narrative or the historical element to it is that I don't want to spoil too much about it because I feel like some of the fun is realizing what it all involves, but Agreed. it does involve things from 1600 time uh, all the way to modern day. And uh, you might be looking for more than meets the eye to some parts of it, but also you might need a little bit of a magic taste. Yes. To maybe see. And, and what I liked is I think it's if you're American, mm-hmm. this is something that you probably learned about in school. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking of a very specific book that you probably read. Yep. Uh, and but it was fun because I I felt like I learned something from this game. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of other games you're playing and you're just enjoying. I think this company did a really good job of digging into the history and then reimagining historical characters into a modern day telling of this story. Oh, agreed. And and uh and I thought that was a lot of fun because in kind of the puzzle solving and the narrative decrypting that we were doing we had to go back to the original story mm-hmm. to kind of make sense of what was being said and who is this and who is that and what is really happening. So I, I, we've, we know different companies deal with different historical things, but we thought it was really worth telling that the historical nature of this really helped drive the immersion for me. Oh, agreed. I think, I think the main element of the game involving a diary that goes all the way back to this historical event. Yes. And mainly relying on them and other people around that time period. And then you having to potentially use outside knowledge to go look at that and realize who they are. Yes. Was really fun to be like, oh, this is what it's involving. (laughs) This is what this is about. Uh, Which you could probably find out a little bit without doing that. But it, it feels really cool when it goes, maybe you should look up these people and see what they were really about. And then finding out like, oh, that person's definitely this kind of person and how it relates. And then how the modern day narrative also fits into it. Like how they messed. Cause a part of the thing is that the journal is an older journal, but then without spoiling parts of the game, there are elements that are not olden times in it. Yes. And those are, are based around other people and the messenger itself, uh, which you get to learn a lot about uh, what it is, who it is, all those types of things. Yes. And they, and to kind of bring that into the second point, what we really, some of the elements that we really enjoyed about this game were the physical items, but then they backed up those physical items with what I thought was a pretty strong digital element. Yes. Um, because the journal is very authentic mm-hmm. and there are parts of it that were very hard to read, but they did a good job of countering that with giving you all of that in your digital element when you're able to acquire it. acquire that. Yes. Um, and everything in that, that our parcel was just beautifully aged. It was so fun pouring through all of these, what felt like time pieced elements. Mm-hmm. Very, very, very well done on that. Even the limited edition box, you know, they had rusted the hinges mm-hmm. and, oh, it was just, it was just a lot of fun. I love getting to go through that type of stuff. And we've actually played a couple games probably in the last month or so where that has been more of the thematic element of what we've been dealing with than mm-hmm. a lot more modern games. But I just thought they really did a good job. They thought through that a lot. Um, and then we'll talk about this uh, more in our next one, but they just, it feels like they went to the uh, a nth degree on a lot of these things. And that was much appreciated on our part. Agreed. So Zach, finish us off. We've said the immersive historical nature of this is really great. We really like the physical and digital items. 
finish us off, what else is really great about this? I think like the exploration of like the narrative and like even more towards the game itself, but how much more you can go after the game's over, if that makes sense. Yes. Uh, so this game, like I said, we, we are very much trying not to spoil anything, um, but when it does end, the narrative, the, it you do get kind of an ending, uh, but it is on you to kind of decide that as well as there's so much to explore with what you learned as well as just the narrative, like the narrative and the historical element itself. So at the end you get to finish and you're like, well, you know, we explored this and we really learned a lot more exploration in the game itself. Like going through items was really neat because, you know, there were certain items that you didn't realize had more that you need to look through or you needed to look at something else. There was just a lot of exploration in the game in terms of inside the actual game and in terms of outside of it to try to yes, piece agreed. things together. I agreed. And it, we got to the end and we'll talk a little bit more about the end when we get to where we feel like there was a little room for growth. Mm-hmm. But what was, what was really cool at the end is Zach and I had a lengthy, probably hour, hour and a half conversations pouring back through all of the information to be like, Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. And, and even after that, we were asking kind of big picture narrative questions to say like, well, what does that mean for this person that we ran into? And well, did this person break a rule? I'll say. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot of fun, even with the game being over it, it lightened up or livened up the post game conversation that we all love to have Yeah, because it felt like in this game, most of our post game conversation wasn't about oh, I really enjoyed this puzzle or that puzzle, but it was really an invitation to dig in, whether it was the story narrative or into the historical narrative that was behind it. And I really enjoyed that because we we talked about this a couple episodes ago. We love talking about the game after the game's over. Yeah, That's what this podcast is, is, to- is talking about the game after it is over. And when you have the opportunity to revisit the game from a non puzzly or non-game playing standpoint and dig through kind of those things. I liked that. Yeah. That was well thought out. Like that was, that was fun to get to do and to have that more as a, a thorough un, unraveling or an appealing uh, back of the narrative. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a lot of fun. Uh, so Zach, let's tack into what we felt like there's some room for improvement. Uh, I'm, I want to say this before we get into this is Uh, we felt like our creator here really hurt us. Mm -hmm. They asked us before we came on and did the podcast, they said, Hey, like, please, anything that you find, see, let us know. And I I would say that we wrote them a pretty lengthy email Mm -hmm. in return about what we did enjoy and what we didn't enjoy. Agreed. And, um, we got back some just really honest answers and, and also some hopes that some of the I would say mostly minor, some, some mid medium to minor things uh, were going to change. And that's, that's not to say like, Oh, we were right. And they changed all the things that we wanted to change them. But we've said this so many times. I love a creator who wants feedback and who digs through that feedback and creates a better game because of it. Mm -hmm. Like who doesn't stonewall, feedback and say, no, uh, everything that we did was right. You guys are way off. And then even in their feedback that they gave us that we learned some of the stuff of the game that we missed out a little bit on, Mm -hmm. like there were narrative parts. So it was a really good back and forth there. So we want to preface all this by saying the things that we're about to cover, I think a lot of it is going to change, but we do want to be upfront about it where it was when we actually played the game. Agreed. 
So the first thing is, um, and this was probably our biggest issue with the game, is the hint system. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is lacking in a lot of different ways, both in its depth of information and sometimes just not being being too cryptic without really giving you uh, direction. Mm-hmm. Agree? Oh, no, I agree. I mean, like I said, the the interesting part of this, we actually did talk to the creator about it beforehand. So we do have like their opinion on it as yes. well. Um, and I think if I remember correctly, this is something that they are looking into is making the hint system yes. different. Yes. Um, but it, it's true. I mean, there are times what I find what can be frustrating in a game is when you get stuck and then when you look for help, the help doesn't really do anything. Yes. Uh, because it only gives you one option and, and it's cryptic. And that's okay. Like, I, I sometimes like that. Like, some of the hints that we looked at when we looked through them all again was useful. But then some of them were too cryptic or we also ran into errors that it was worded wrong or could be interpreted wrong. Yes. Uh, there was one specific example, which I, I'm not going to go into that exact thing, but the wording of it made you believe it was a completely different item. And the creator, which they, they didn't know. They didn't know there was an item that is the way that they worded it. Yes, that is called this, yeah. which means you should do this. But they didn't realize it, yes. which is which is totally fine. I mean, there are a lot of things out there that, I mean, if you would ask me, like, I didn't know that was the thing until I looked up that hint system or looked up that hint. And then I looked up what it asked. And I was like, there's like this whole other thing. Yeah, so we were, we, got, we were learning something new too. Yeah, we both learned a lot in that. <laughs> um, but the the hint system, like I said, it I think it needed a little bit more of like a tiered hint system. Maybe it kept the cryptic one, and maybe then it did maybe because I think some hint systems, right? They do a lot of steps. I think a good one for this, which I don't know what they want to do. Um, I think they could do like a like a one to three tiered hint, like do like a two or three right. hit, tiered hint system, like do like a really cryptic one, do immediate, and then give like a almost like a giveaway, sure, to help them like reanalyze the answer. Or it could be more like just two and one's really cryptic and the other one's more like, hey, I'm really pointing you towards something. Right. And that was the problem here is there was no, here's the answer. Correct. You didn't know. You, we This was a, a very, usually a two-step tiered system that mm-hmm. if you didn't figure it out, you were, the only option was to get, try to get in contact with the creator. Correct. Which, yes. which thankfully I feel like we have, we had more of a direct line to them because we knew that they were coming on the podcast than mm-hmm. other people. But that is, I, I just don't think it's wise from a creation standpoint to not give your players the option to just get the answer if they want it. Especially in a game where the, in like where the meta puzzle requires you to know all the answers are correct. Yes. Because this game does require you when you get to the very end to know that every other puzzle that you did was correct or else it will not make sense. Yes. Or else you're kind of left dangling, but also, and, and it's hard because I, in understanding what we were reading from the creator, they did the hint system this way very intentionally to try to get you to wrestle with it. It was supposed to be more difficult. Yes. It, was supposed, it was supposed to be door, but it's, but in my opinion, let the player prescribe their experience for themselves. Like it, okay. it, it felt like they wanted us to play a game a certain way. And it felt like they were trying to protect the speed mm-hmm. at which we were trying to play the game and, and sure. therefore protect the, the narrative so that nobody could just, pick this game up in an hour and blaze through it. But I think from a consumer standpoint, that's the options that consumers want. If, if they're frustrated and they just want the answer, there's no harm. I think in giving them the answer, I think the harm is in kind of the process that we went through where it was like, where you throw your hands up and you're like, well, how quickly is the creator going to email me back? 
Yeah, I agree with that part. I mean, that, uh, yeah. I mean, I understand where they came from, and I think I'm definitely more in line with understanding having a harder hint system because they want you to wrestle with it. But, I mean, I, I agree. Some of the games that we've played where we didn't get, like, a definitive, like, tiered hint system that told us the answer at the end. Yes. And then you, like, the moment that your customer has to stop and feel like they have no way to solve it and wait. They're out of the game. It it feels not, it's not a fun, ex- like, I feel like, at least from our experience, it hasn't been fun to have those moments. I agree. It pulls us out. It doesn't mean that we're not having a good time, but it's just, like, that thing of going, all right, well, now I have to wait, and then I don't know if I'm even right. And this is kind of, like, I'd rather just know instantly that I messed up or didn't. Because the I think the the reverse engineering is then taking away taken away from you as a consumer. Because what you and I do when we run into a puzzle, if we burn one hint, burn two hints still to understand, then we have to go to the giveaway, like to yeah. the answer, which we never really want to. When we get that answer, what you and I do, we, we, we usually don't move on. We try to reverse engineer. Like where do we mess up? Yeah, where did, we, where did we mess up? And I think that still creates some engagement because then the player is able to go back and either say like, oh, I totally missed that and I should have gotten that. But but then they're still able to move on after that. In the, in the situation we were in, we couldn't reverse engineer it and we felt 100% stuck and helpless. And as we talked about in a previous episode, what's very valuable to us is our time. Mm-hmm. And that was taken out of our hands. So we just fully recommend creators out there, give your players a way to get the correct answer and let them do with that what they will. It's a really interesting subject because I think we're going to have a blast talking about that later. <laughs> um, so some other things as well um, in the Rooms for Improvement was some of the puzzles. Uh, so specifically, it was more signposting. Um, we talked to the creator about it in our opinions, but we had gone into a few points where there was not enough signposting to clearly tell you that that is a puzzle and that something else was related to it. Yes. There's one specifically that we ran into that we had no idea of how, like even after we looked back at it, I think we did once I realized the email that they sent us and thinking about it even more and like really analyzing it, I made the connection. I went, oh, that's how you're supposed to realize like that and that are the same. Yes. But if without basically the creator helping me really understand that and really look at it for like 10 minutes, there was just a few puzzles we ran into. There's like, there's no way you make that connection. Yeah, the the connection element of a lot of the puzzling, it wasn't there. And it wasn't, I, I want to be very clear about this. If you knew how to approach the puzzle, none of the puzzles were incorrect. Yeah, they were all correct. They were not bad puzzles. But for us looking at them and wrestling with them for a while and saying, hey, this has to be a puzzle there just wasn't enough to tie in the puzzle process to the puzzle masking, Mm -hmm. which is what we feel like a good puzzle does. Like we talked a lot about when we talked about Hinks, like that's the bread and butter of Hinks is like well disguised puzzles that give you enough signposting Mm -hmm. to be like, Oh, I see what you did there. But for, for this, it was when we burned a hint, that's like when we felt we got the signposting and then we were able to come back and the puzzle was a great puzzle and it was fine, but there was just not enough to really bring a, a, a couple puzzles, three or four, I would say all together. Yeah, I agree. And then the final thing we talked about this a little in what we liked about it, but we really liked the ending. And then we really struggled with the ending mm-hmm. as well uh, on a couple levels. One of it was uh, just the element of working through the meta and then what you were supposed to do immediately following the meta. Mm -hmm. We felt like could have used a little more signposting as well. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing was 
we honestly questioned when the game was over. Yeah. There, this game, uh, not trying to spoil it, but it, I think we, we kind of talk about it a little bit is that there is no definitive ending as of right now. There's not a, there, there is, and there isn't, there is. Okay. But there's nothing in the game that says you, you've completed the game to next. Correct. Extent. And yeah. that, and I think that is where I'm coming out of it saying like, regardless of how you want to engage a high narrative game like this one, this is a really great narrative and a and it really well done. But with that element at the end of the game where you can then pour back into it, I got to believe a lot of players are wondering if they've ever finished this game. Yeah. Cause I, I don't think there's any, de-evaluation of the game by letting players know, hey, this is the last thing that you need to do. Now feel free to wrestle with this information in if you want to go back and have some more fun with it. Yeah, the game doesn't clearly tell you that. I mean, but you could argue too that like when we completed it, we knew we'd done everything. Like we had solved all the small puzzles. We had done the meta. But I mean, there is nothing that says congratulations, you won and now wrestle with the info you have. Right. We just... You just like I said, we talked about. It. We sat in chairs for like an hour, and I was like, I mean, I'm pretty positive this is the end. I think we're supposed to take the information we have now and deal with it. But but all I'm saying is, there's there are other games that we have played that let you know that it's over, that it's over, mm-hmm. and you're not left wondering, do I have more to work on? And maybe I'm just so uh, oblivious sure. to it. Mm-hmm. And especially with kind of the cryptic nature of the journal and some of these other things, I was wondering like. This feels like the end, but I'm just not sure. And I think some other creators have really done a good job with that saying like, like uh, uh, we'll throw out there. We've talked about this game a lot, but we'll throw out there. Um, what's the game I'm thinking of, Zach? Uh, by cracking that. Root of all evil. Root of all evil. Thank you. It's on the tip of my tongue. Uh, Root of all evil gives you a envelope system mm-hmm. to say like, don't open this unless you've done this that doesn't ruin anything and that lets you know because at the end of the game that you've done the correct thing because a funny story for zach and i in there oh geez and we'll probably talk about this more when we cover this on the podcast but we lost the envelopes had no idea they existed and we ran into this very same thing when we're playing the messenger when we played the end of root of all evil we said is this the end a week later, we found the envelopes and we thought, how silly are we? It was literally at the bottom of our closet it was underneath, other, other, other underneath other things. But but it was interesting a week later to get to see that, to say like, oh, this is a great way of doing this, whether it's in person or on digital, physical, whatever. Mm. I think players want a wrap up. Agreed. Even if it's a soft ending point, they want to know that there's nothing left for them to accomplish in terms of puzzles to solve or things to do. If it's just a narrative that they can pour through more great, but I'm, I'm just a big proponent of letting, puzzles, not yeah, narrative. Let, let me know. There's nothing else for me to do except deal with the narrative. Yeah. If I have to deal with the narrative and go back and, and figure out some more things, that's fine. But I want to know that I don't have any more ciphers or those type of things. Cause otherwise I'm going to create them. I'm going to go back and I'm going to make something out of nothing. Oh, Jared, we're going to have some great conversations. <laughs> oh, goody. But that's 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 really what this game was about. And like I said, most of these things that we're talking about in Rooms for Improvement, I think we're going to see some of them change. I think that's great. I think it's going to flow better. 
And when that flow comes into play on the puzzle, you've got a fantastic narrative yep. to bring this whole thing together. Uh, another thing that Jared and I didn't bring up that I want to bring mention for a like that wasn't in our three is definitely the the online aspect with the narrative and there's videos that go along. Oh, that's a great point. Very, great point. there was one puzzle involved with the online video system that I maybe could be improved a little bit. Um, but the, the actual like narrative and how it was presented through the videos was great, was really cool yes. and probably one of the better ones I've seen. So I agree. It was that's fun. A, we should dote on that. The, the visual, the video work done in here was very compelling. Yes. And, and the way it was sequenced and put together, you really can talk about that because it felt like there was a more physical track and there was a digital track. Yep. And we felt like the digital track was much more well put together and stronger than was the puzzles that played out through the physical. I can get that. I, th yeah. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. So that's, that's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up, Zach. But overall, yeah, we think this is a game worth playing. We hope that, Oh yeah. I, I believe, uh, don't, don't hold me to this, but I believe there will be another round of this released by immersion. I think so. Um, because as of right now, you got it on the Kickstarter or you didn't. Mm -hmm. So I'm hopeful that they will reprint this because I think this is a game a lot of people will want to pick up mm -hmm. and will want to have some fun with. And then, yeah, with those few tweaks being made, I think this has a chance to be a really great game. Agreed. Yeah. Well, that's going to wrap us up for our opening segment. Hang on. We're coming right back with Puzzles of the People. Solve puzzles, write reviews, win prizes. It's time for Puzzles to the People. Zach, you never responded to my email about the rally next week. The rally? Yeah, dude, they're trying to tear down the old tree off of Maine. That's a bat-coon habitat. I think you mean raccoon. <laughs> Zach, next thing you know, you'll be calling swargators alligators. Swargators? Bat-coons? Jared, what are you talking about? Dude, everyone knows that the American Society for the Protection of Magical Creatures spends countless hours trying to preserve the habitat of these magical and magnificent creatures. Do you want your kids growing up in a world where there's no lobguins? Do I? Well, that's a fair question. Lobguins are actually very temple creatures, but sometimes I can do without them. But what everyone should do is head over to theaspmc.org, that's T-H-E-A-S-P-M-C.org, and sign up to help their investigations. Only you can prevent the extinction of these magical creatures. Hey guys, welcome back to Puzzling Company. We're back to the segment that is Puzzles to the People. If you've never been to this segment before, well... Welcome. We're glad you guys are here. If you've been here many times, then you know how this usually goes. Uh, in this part, uh, we kind of get reviews or comments or even we ask questions. Um, Jared usually asks them to me, and this is kind of a part where we go kind of back and forth with me starting the discussion. But I think I have a fun twist today. Jared, you've tortured me with questions for 16 episodes up to this point and the other ones that we've already recorded. I've decided that I wanted to flip it on you. So now Jared is going to be the one being asked the questions, and we're going to see what he says, and then I'm totally going to play devil's advocate against him. I knew this day was coming. Number one. Uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, th this is going to be questions I'm going to ask him about the game. Um, and this one, um, it's not going to be like reviews. What I've decided to do is ask him specific questions that I think relate to games like this and kind of the category itself. Uh, some of these things Jared's actually talked about a little bit, so this is going to be a blast to see what he fully goes into and how I'm going to get to play devil's advocate on it. Goodness. Okay, so let's start it all off. So the first question I have for you, Jared, is for the at-home puzzle and mystery experiences, um, which focus more on narrative, should they have a definitive ending or should it be left on your interpretation on when and how it ends? 
I see why this is so difficult to be on this side of things. Yes, please tell me your answer. Yes. You think it's... You, you're saying yes that it should have a definitive end? I, I think every game should have a definitive end. I And the reason I say that is because I don't think all narratives need a definitive end. Okay. I think all games... The puzzle aspect yes, of the game. Yes, I believe okay. all games deserve, deserve a definitive end because otherwise... I think you risk frustrating your customer. I, I really mm. do. I think people want to know, regardless of whether it is a more puzzly competitive game or a narrative game, that they have reached a level of completion, right? Otherwise, it is, especially in this type of game, you could want, we could still be wandering through these documents, pulling and making things up. Yeah. And I just think it's wise to give people a definitive end. And then I, I, what I recommend is, when we've talked about this in other episodes, is if there's more than just the mainline quest, if you have side quests and, and other things to follow up with, great. But I want to know that the main storyline is wrapped up, at least for that episode, right? You don't have to wrap up the entire narrative. Mm-hmm. Like when we were playing uh, Wish You Were Here, mm-hmm. the entire narrative didn't wrap up in the first series of envelopes. Right, it's over but, the four. But yeah. we knew that we were done with that set of envelopes so that we could be prepared to tackle the next thing. So mm-hmm. if the question is, should all games have a definitive ending? Yes. Should all narratives have a definitive ending? I think there's more room for gray there. I think you can create narratives where you are left to interpret the data for yourself. But in terms of creating a mixture puzzle narrative game, give me a definitive end of the game. And if you want me to wrestle with the narrative, fine. But let me know that there's nothing else I need to do in terms of puzzles and gameplay. I will say I agree with you on this. You answered it exactly how I wanted you to. Uh, <laughs> which, you know, I think I'm always right in the scenario. But uh, yes, I, I agree. I think narratives should be open to interpretation or have it, like they can decide if it wants to end there. Yeah. Or if you want to, if they want you to rat, like wrestle with the, the ideas. Um, but I think games should have an ending unless the game clearly tells you that it is almost more like a puzzle hunt where there's more and more you can keep doing sure. and there's more to keep exploring, but it needs to make that clear. Like if it doesn't say like, Hey, you're going to, you could continuously play and keep going down the rabbit hole if you want. Yeah. Then like, that's cool. But if the game is like, Hey, this is an experience and there's supposed to be kind of an end to when the experience is over, but the narrative can last on like in this game, like the, the game should end. But then when you solve this game, when you complete the messenger, the narrative is something that you do get to have fun and think about for like, like I said, we sat there and thought about it for an hour and then made the connections after we got like the notes from Mark. Yes. Um, so that was really fun to kind of get all that done. Um, so no, I, I think I completely agree with your statement. So I survived question one. Question two. Experiences that are meant to be more difficult should have less things to help you or hints to help you as well. Can I get a clarification on there? Sure. Are you saying there should be less? Well, let's use one example. Signposting and then less hints makes a game harder. Yes. Experiences that are made to be more difficult, should they have those things or have less of them? No, I disagree with that statement. Okay. Uh, I think more difficult puzzles make a game more difficult, not less information or less help. Okay. Because good puzzles are good puzzles. Mm -hmm. And then you can increase the difficulty of them in a number of different ways. And good game creators know how to do that. Uh, I'm looking around the room at some of the games and I'm seeing like, oh yeah, that was still a fun experience. That was an easier puzzle. And I look at that and that was a a more difficult puzzle, right? Uh, And so no, I think if you're looking to make a more difficult game, you make 
fairer, difficult puzzles, but you still give people fair hints. That's in my mind, that's like saying like, let's put someone in an escape room without a GM, like, or a really obnoxious GM that constantly gives terrible hints. Like, yeah, that makes the game harder, but not in an enjoyable way, right? You can make a game enjoyable on a difficulty standard in a good way, and you can do that in a bad way. And I think worse hints or less signposting definitely increases the difficulty of a game, but not in an enjoyable way for the player. Dang it. You have answered my questions exactly how I wanted to answer them. My analogy to you was going to be the escape room experience. I was going to ask you um, basically that. Like, uh, I think you could relate it to you played an escape room, but your room host literally doesn't help you at all. Yeah. Like, it'd be like going into, like, one of our rooms and just being like, okay, um, we tend to come in a limited hint system, but I'm not going to literally help you at all. And sure. Then, and then, like you said, on it, the puzzle itself should be hard and make you really think about it. But if it's a good puzzle, it's still a good puzzle. But then the moment you want help, if they just don't help you at all, then you're like, uh, but I could also make an argument specifically on the hint part that the game wants you to think about it. And, I, and like I said, that was their point when they originally made the hint system is they, they wanted you to, they didn't want to give you the answer. They want you to wrestle with it. Right. And if they are wanting to do like a system where you have to like message them to see if it's correct, that is fine. But like you made in the, in the point earlier is that if that happens, then you also have to understand your customer could potentially be upset or not want to wait on that answer. Yes. But if you make that super clear to the customer too, like this game involves you like, not potentially knowing the answer and having the message like right on the front end on the front end. Yeah. If you knew that, then that's different. And that's our beef with time lapses. I feel like in most of the games we played, like Mm -hmm. we brought this up when we uh, talked about box one. Yeah. Tell me that on the front end and I don't have a problem with it, Mm -hmm. but I, I, I think prescribing the experience for your customer on the front end, allowing them to then almost like agree with the terms of service for what your game is going to uh, involve and then you playing it, then you then you have no room for saying like, oh, this is not what I wanted. Well, you knew that on the front end. You knew that going in. But when you don't know that going in, if I would have known, hey, there this, this hint system is not going to give you answers, then if I'm that type of person, maybe I'm like, yeah. But if it was me personally, I would have been like, well, I'm not probably interested in playing that game the way that exists right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. So my last question to you, I'm interested to know what you think of it. Should experiences provide things to help with outside knowledge? Example, something to help with Morse code or ciphers. Yes and no. Okay. Please continue. I'm going to pick up where I left off with prescribing the experience. Okay. In in my mind, a escape room style game, if we're calling an at-home game an escape room style game, you do not need to know anything. It should be self-contained. It should be self-contained. Agreed. If you're labeling a game just as like a mystery or a puzzle hunt or then that automatically by definition leans itself to outside information. Mm -hmm. So if it leads to outside information and you're looking to maybe help your player along a little, sure, you could throw them something, but I don't think it's required at that point. Again, it comes down to defining your experience beforehand. If it's an escape room style, self-contained game, well, they don't need it anyway. And yes, it's not 100% black and white. I understand, like, I see these conversations all the time in the escape room enthusiast page is, well, what is uh, what is knowledge that everybody should know? Like, Roman numerals, does that count? Like, 
it, it's hard, right? It's not, it's not purely black and white. But again, I think letting people know the experience ahead of time will lead to a better experience. And that way, if they know, oh, this isn't self-contained, everything's fair game, then you have a decision as a creator to throw them a bone or not. But I don't think that makes the game better or worse. Agreed. Man, this was easy. I, <laughs> I was really ready to play some devil's advocate, but you just answered what I wanted. Um, but no, I agree. I think the game should be just prescribed. I think you should know what it involves because I think we can make an example, right? When we played, um, when we played wish you were here, right. Uh, in those games, right. They, they gave you an item that actually helped you with all the potential outside knowledge. Yes. Which then made it self-contained because all you need, well, technically not, there are things you still had to look up, but yes, but that helped you kind of almost make it more self-contained because they're like, well, we're going to give you a tool that helps you with all the like different ciphers and codes and morse. But you still have to look up, like in that game, look up pieces of information online to help you solve. Yes. Like figure out who someone is or to what that painting is and whatever. Right. Totally agree. I mean, I'll, I'll give another example is this is actually spoiler for an upcoming game that we're going to review, <gasps> I believe, next month. But we have started playing Murders by Mail. Mm -hmm. And I think Murders by Mail, we have not gotten into the core of the gameplay. Yeah. But purely by the prescribing what's going to happen and onboarding us into that thus far, mm -hmm. it has been smooth. Yeah, it has. Like the information that they give you and what you're supposed to do just flows really, really well. It's also super clear. Like it's it, very clear. It, it's very obvious that it's not a surprise when the element of the game that comes into that is told, like when you're told that you need to do it now. Yeah. Because then if you weren't told that and you were going, okay, now I have to wait. And you were just like, okay, how long? How long? When, when do I get more info? When? How does this system play into it? Yes. The game gives you like a whole, I think the, if I remember correctly, when we opened up Murders by Mail, the first one, the the first thing literally gives you like yeah, a, a whole pamphlet that goes, a whole this is yeah. literally how the game functions and how it plays. This is what you need to do with your phone. This is how like the mailing part of it works, all that jazz. Right, and I'm not saying, again, the prescribing the game and the onboarding, I think go hand in hand. Yeah. And sending players off on their mission with the right tools is imperative to a good game. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's all I'm talking about with the subject matter at hand. But yeah, I think we kind of agree on most of these things. If you're not, if you are listening and you have a different point of view, uh, message us, like hit us yes. up. Uh, we would love, we hear a lot of people uh, tell us like, ooh, like I thought differently about that. Well, let's let's have a conversation. Like that's what this all about. Zach and I are not the end all be all of the what defines a game, what makes a good game. Talk we, yourself. We love to have these uh, conversations. So if you want to hit us up more, throw us in a message on Facebook, uh, send us a direct message, email us. We would love to go in more in depth because we're constantly on the journey of making and figuring out what makes a good game and games that we're enjoying. I think it's an ever-moving target. It is a little bit different for everything, but I think ultimately what we're trying to tackle for the industry are what are the necessities and then what are the subjective secondaries that we think are helpful. Mm -hmm. That's all there is. Yep. Cool. Well, that's going to wrap us up for Puzzles to the People. I know you were probably hoping for more conflict, more devil's advocate, but I think we we're just on the same wavelength today. Yeah, uh, but wait till next week. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. So I, I've lost like... I've lost the the first right now. Like you're now gonna 
be the, the, the question asker off the bat for the foreseeable future. Well, technically in the next episode, uh, you are the, oh, the question right. asker. Right. But, uh, but let's say uh, we might be switching up more often. I might give myself some more time to think of really good questions. Like, uh, you know, it. I'll ask a question to you guys. and You can you can comment and message us your answer. Who do you like more, uh, Jared or me? You know, um, if, you, if you do say Jared, just understand that I will be upset and uh, I might not I comment would, on your I would pick anymore. you. You'd pick me. I mean, I would, I'd pick me too. So I appreciate good. that. <laughs> We're trending in the right direction. I'm messing. No, Jared's a great guy. But uh, no, we appreciate you guys uh, listening to this part. We'll be back with uh, questions for creators. There are some awesome people who make the puzzles we love to solve. This is Questions for Creators. Zach, listen, man, we, we need to have a talk. Okay. What about? Well, I got your postcard in the mail and... I'm worried, man. Nothing made sense on it. And there was even things in there that implicated you in some kind of larger conspiracy organization. Yeah, I really don't see what the problem with that is. Wait, wait, no, this this isn't how our ads work. You usually, this is the part where you say, oh, it's a game and crazy, Jared, and we do that whole little shtick. But you're not saying that this time, so is this true? Well... If you're curious to find out what is true, you should head over to theenigmaemporium.com and check out the Wish You Were Here series. Oh, so it is a game, right? Zach? Zach? Come on, man. What's true? Welcome back, everybody. It is time for questions for creators. And we have another wonderful designer with us today, game creator. I'm super pumped to talk to him about this because I especially with games like these, these more in-depth, hour-long games, you really have to understand that these creators are just putting so much time Mm -hmm. into not only the beforehand creation, but the actual physical manifestation of the game. So it's really interesting to hear about that experience, and I hope we get to dig into that a little bit this time. Yeah. But I'm going to jump right in. We'll get to meet our guest for today and glean some information from him. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Tell us your name and how your company came into existence. My name is Mark, and um, we started Immersion actually a a long time ago, uh, but we don't never really realized that we started it. So my friend and roommate uh, Jeremy actually, we used to play these elaborate pranks on people and um, and ourselves, mainly ourselves. And we actually tried to um, sort of create mini versions of that Michael Douglas movie. Uh, the game, if you've seen it. So um, I remember coming home one day, okay, and I, I see this uh, this package on my door with um, a key inside, a car key inside, and a note that says, there's a car parked in a nearby grocery store, get in and drive. So I do, I don't know if that was the smartest thing to do, but I actually, I got in, I drove, and I uh, hear some message on the this, the audio speakers that say, you know, pull over into a fast food place and um, there's a map taped to the bottom of a toilet in the bathroom, you know, and next thing I know, I'm in Joshua Tree National Park climbing over boulders looking for uh, this journal page that's supposed to be, you know, the the meaning of life or something like that. So uh, that's basically how immersion started. And, uh, you know, five years later, we've got... Um, or five years into actually immersion, we've got 
multiple escape rooms now and we do custom adventures for individuals and teams like we've actually um created team building events that are either outside or within the confines of their own buildings for up to hundreds or more of people and um you know we kind of just took it from there and it's been it's been doing really well and then the the at home experience was the next logical progression i guess but it was it's it's been a fun journey especially that starting point <laughs> So I have a question for you. Why create an at-home game? Well, I think that's that's a main reason for that is because, you know, at a you know, in an escape room, you're you're centralized into that local area. So with an at-home game, you're able to broaden that out and get your story to, you know, other people. And, you know, the pandemic honestly was a major catalyst for that because, you know, we were locked down for four months. And I'm the type of person that just you know, we, I need to keep creating something. So we just decided to dive in. We knew we wanted to do an at home experience. We just, you know, needed that, that catalyst to really do it. And then we just dove in and went from there. In the scope of the length of these games, yours is definitely a longer game compared to the mass majority of what we play. Why go that route? Why pick a longer game versus a shorter game in terms of game length? I think it just felt right to create something that people had to spend time with, you know, I mean, coming from escape rooms and you're, you know, you have, you have to design within that hour time frame, And when you're going into, you know, something at home, they can do at their leisure. You're just able to bring them way more into the story and absorb, you know, they can absorb more of the story. So why put a time limit on it? Why not just let them leisurely go through the materials, develop their own conclusions while progressing through the game? So it was kind of an interesting challenge for us to create something that um, took more time. So in The Messenger, right, uh, this game is definitely more narrative-based. So what goes into creating a narrative for you and your team? Yeah, so specifically for The Messenger, we spent a lot of time in the research phase. So, um, you know, since it was based on actual events, you know, very loosely based, but it was based on actual events, we wanted to make sure to communicate that realism. We, uh, we wanted to make sure everything felt authentic. So we chose specific documents we hand, to make sure to handcraft all of them and uh, specific artifacts that felt like you were moving through time periods along with the parcel itself, like the parcel was taking its own journey. So we really, you know, dove into the research, we uh, chose specific characters. And then, you know, my wife, uh, her name is Rachel, she, um, she, I, I, I coin her the, the authentic, the director of authenticity is how I would say it, is that she, uh, you know, she spent a lot of time researching, crafting all the, the journal pages, um, she actually embodied the character of Alice, which is one of the major characters in the story. She did all this research and she was able to add some really cool factual details within her own writing. I mean, that's her handwriting. She wrote out everything and it really, um, it was able to create that illusion of, is this, you know, was this actual something that was created in that time period? So, uh, and then from there, we just sort of open up the floodgates and try to pick interesting plot points that we might be able to take into a puzzle direction and kind of go from there. Um, so it's, it's, it's a big brainstorming session to start with after research. And then we just kind of drill down into the finite details and then attach realism to it through authentic documents and such. 
How does puzzle creation factor when you're making a game that is meant to be played over potentially days or a longer series of hours versus if you were to make something that is meant to be finished up in an hour? Yeah, and dropping back to what you said about the escape rooms, and you can't really tell that story in an hour. Um, I want to bring up the point that we actually don't tell our full story in an hour in our escape rooms. Uh, we actually do a, an episodic series. So all of our rooms that we offer right now are part of a central story. So that way you're getting sort of one episode in the narrative and kind of go from there. And that's sort of how we chose to create the messenger as well where um, we definitely wanted to uh, sort of make our puzzles be part of the story as through an, like an episodic series. So um, we wanted to break that up into segments or like chapters of a book or, or, or something similar to that. So we chose to go with like two main lines for the story. We wanted the, the origin story and then we wanted the, the near present story. So for the origin story, we wanted to choose puzzles that used like tangible objects and documents and artifacts, like as they were presented through time. And uh, through solving those particular puzzles, you're learning more about the beginning of the parcel's journey. And then for, for the near past line, we, we focused on um, the person who received the parcel just before you. And this guy's name was Sean. And then you kind of go through his narrative on top of finding out more solutions, which then brings you back to the origin. So it's, um, it's a nonlinear, multifaceted story that there was actually quite a few puzzles in there that, um, you know, and with each piece, you're learning one element of that story. But at the same time, you need all the knowledge to be able to come to the final solution. And another thing is that the solution is somewhat open to interpretation, which I think is interesting because then you're able to get pe the, the minds of the players to create a story within the confines of our story, but they can create the story for themselves. And that opens up this revelation towards the end. This is a big question that we uh, we generally like to ask, but uh, what are your future plans if you're willing to tell us some of them? Absolutely. So we uh, we do have plans for a second production run of The Messenger, um, which will then hopefully be able to get into a continuous phase where we can continue to produce it and release it on demand. Um, and we are also working on a new project, which will be released on Kickstarter. And um, we're we're just getting into the, the finite details of the storyline right now. So it, it'll be a little bit of a little bit of time yet, but we do definitely plan on doing another campaign and um, seeing, seeing where that takes us for sure. And a big question that we ask all of our creators, because we firmly believe that we all should be playing each other's material is what games are you currently playing? Don't limit yourself to just this type of games, video games, board games. What are you playing? What's interesting you right now? So I'll tell you, um, <laughs> I swear every day I scroll through that puzzle people page and I pick out something new that I want to play and, um, it's hard to make up my mind. So right now I'm actually playing the game of which game do I choose? <laughs> Cause it's, it's just so much. So I think I'm going to have to, uh, like just roll a D 20 or something and pick something. Um, but, uh, you know, definitely like the society of curiosities and, uh, you know, some of crack and nut, the nuts, the crack and nut mysteries and all of that. It's just, um, you know, 
everything's really beautifully done from what I can tell. And I just, I can't wait to dive more, more into all that stuff. I'm a, I'm a recent member to the community. So it's, um, it's just all, all something new. And it's, it's mainly been about what's in my head, but I, it's definitely time to, to get out there and see all the awesome stuff that everybody else is creating because it's just, I mean, it's mind blowing some of it. I'm just really proud of the way this community has been building up. Um, you know, it started, you know, years ago and it's just been expanding and expanding. I mean, I remember when I started or joined the the puzzle people group, it was only, you know, like at the beginning of the Kickstarter, there's now almost 2000 members in it and it's just continuing to grow and grow. And the support that we've received from the, from our Kickstarter backers, is absolutely phenomenal. Um, you know, we're getting great feedback. We're also getting some awesome criticisms, which is, we love to see because that's going to help us you know, create something, you know, better in, in the long term. So we're, uh, you know, just, we're just very happy to be a part of it. And we just, we can't wait to continue to offer materials and get it, um, you know, get materials from other creators as well. It's just awesome. Mark, thanks so much for coming on the show. It was a blast to have you. Yes. We are definitely looking forward to playing more games by you and your team. Mm-hmm. And uh, don't be a stranger. We'll be watching eagerly to see what happens next. Oh, agreed. Yes. If you want uh, more information on Immersion, please, uh, right now, you can head over to immersionescaperooms.com. You can also find the Messenger if you just search the Messenger on Kickstarter. And hopefully, like we said, they'll be re-releasing that. And I believe, uh, based on what we heard, that we can be looking forward to some more games there as well. Yes. But for us, if you want to keep us going, if you want to keep following with us, as always, you can find us on social media, puzzlingcompany.com or at puzzlingcompany. We would love to get to know you, to have a conversation and talk about the things that we all love. But I think that is going to wrap us up today, Zach. Do you know who we're talking about next time? That's a great question. We might be talking about, uh, how do we put it? Some nice art, to say the least. We may be talking about some nice, uh, from the from the UK, maybe? Lovely, yes. <laughs> Lovely. Yes, next week we have uh, the real honor of talking to Jack Fallows from Cryptogram Puzzle Post. Mm-hmm. Super excited to talk about him, the many projects he has going on. Yes. And just to review what has been a really, really in-depth and cool series. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we will see you guys next week for that. Until then, this is Jared and Zach. See you guys. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Puzzling Company and online at puzzlingcompany.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, keep puzzling. This has been a Rogue Media Network Podcast.